0: Welcome to another episode of Talking Sense. We wanted to start the year off with a bang, talking about ABM and some of the latest and greatest trends in the ABM space. So who better do that than Gary Service of Insight Partners. So Gary, you have kind of an interesting role. Tell me a little bit about what you do at Insight.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, I'm an operating partner here. And as you might imagine, most uh, investing firms have a deal side. They do all the investing. Um, many of the times they sit on a board or advisors to the CEO and a lot of strategic issues. But Insight really focuses as well on operating and what we've set up are centers of excellence across all the levers that really make a successful software company. Um, I'd like to say we have everything you need for a great software company except software. So we um, so we have a Center of Excellence for Sales and Product and Talent and Customer Success, and I am an operating partner on the Marketing Center of Excellence.
0: I like to call you a super CEO. Okay. <laughs> You'll take it. You'll oh, take good. it. i <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good.
1: I got a cape right over here. It's awesome.
0: Um, I like to call you that because, you know, in my role, I get to see marketing at Six Sense, and of course, I'm talking to other people, but... You really have this purview across hundreds of companies. Um, So maybe tell me a little bit about the Insight portfolio and the type of companies that you are working with.
1: Yeah, I mean, Insight prides itself in really being the leading scale-up company within the software space. And yes, we invest. But what we really do is help organizations scale up. And scale-up really is a unique phase for an organization. You're beyond the startup and you really need to understand how it is that this people process technology is going to scale up to get you to the next level and insight has this incredibly unique vantage point because we only invest in software and we've been doing it uh, this year will be our 25th year and we really understand both pattern recognition and trends and how to bring the right resources to help our, our portfolio companies truly scale up and be world leaders.
0: All right, well, you found that looking at all of these portfolio companies, I think earlier you said about 170 right now currently that you and your team are working with, that ABM has been a critical part of scaling up. Yep. So tell me uh, a little bit about what you've seen recently.
1: Yeah. You know. I would start by saying, first of all, we don't call it ABM, um, we call it ABX, and the X stands for sales, it stands for customer success, it, it stands for inside selling, it stands for all the parts that account-based can really be critical to an organization, and, and quite honestly, create super strong alignment between those things.
0: I love that. we. We talk about sales and marketing, and then I was trying to get everyone to say revenue team. But people felt the need to define sales and marketing. So I don't know if we're there yet, but we yeah. believe in the same thing.
1: Yes, indeed. And and, and the thing that um, is fascinating to me is there's almost not a conversation I have with either an existing portfolio company or our new investments that doesn't at some level discuss account-based. Um, as you know, super buzzy. Um, (laughs) and, and, and with that, um, you know, a lot of misunderstanding, I think,
0: in terms of what it's really about. So what's like the biggest, when you hear someone talking about ABM or in our world, ABX, where you're like, Oh God, seriously. Yeah. Like what are some of the, it's definitely not this.
1: Well, my favorite of course is, well, I have a target account list. So clearly we're doing account based marketing then. And I'm like. Yeah, anyone can come up with a list of companies, but do you have an ideal customer profile? Have you really matched them against that? Do you really understand more so, not just that you have target accounts, but that you have an orchestrated approach to really hit those accounts? I, I like to talk about the three levers that you're trying to get right with account base. You first need to understand how many touches you really need one can do. Two, you need to figure out the order in which to do them. And lastly, like, what are those touches? Are you going to start out with, you know, a whole lot of online advertising and then follow up with emails and then an outreach? Or are you going to put a CEO letter in there? Are you going to have an event coming up? Are you going to be sending some snail mail to them? There are so many ways to do it. And it's that orchestration of account-based, which is really, you know, the magic
0: but i think that's where the to use your term scale up either comes or doesn't come because we've we've all been accustomed to like a linear email based nurture right when when we think about touches we think about email yep and i think the key to abm is much more personalized orchestrated cadences or touches
1: yeah absolutely i think that um we believe super strongly that an organization it needs to really believe in account-based. They can't dabble in account-based. And it's important for them to say, look, this is our approach. We're going to identify these accounts. We're going to figure out what's relevant to them, what matters to them. We are going to understand how to communicate to them. And we look at it as not a monolithic approach as well. Um, sure, one-to-one is a great way to do account-based, but that's not the only way to do account-based. We talk about cohorts Mm -hmm. that are within there that you want to talk to, and sometimes just larger segments. And each of those can benefit from an account-based strategy. And so some people say, well, I I can't do one-to-one marketing. This is way too much for me. So you don't have to to have an effective account-based approach.
0: Yeah, I I definitely feel like at the inception of account-based, it almost felt like it died on its weight a little bit and lost the momentum because people did think it was just one-to-one I need to have like customized content and it's like oh my gosh there's no way I can do this and I feel like now as we look at 2020 it's about backing that off a bit and like tweaking those dials um, to be able to do it more at scale.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, as Gartner does with its hype cycle, there's not a major new technology that doesn't hit that trial of disillusionment and is, you know, at this place where there's just so much promise and there's no way that it can live up to it. And so for us, you know, we really try to be super real about what it is that you need to do, how to, to get into it and understand I can do a crawl, walk, run with ABM before it is... Um, a major drain I've gone in the wrong direction I, and that's what we always talk about like let's start with a pilot let's let's start learning about what it is for you and then let's double down from that i think i mentioned to you at one point you know when you look at our portfolio about a third of our portfolio is using abm today actively they're active users of account based
0: would you say they're scaled
1: yes yeah, totally scaled okay but 75% of our portfolio is at some level from pilot on through, uh, full on ABM, and the other thing that's super interesting, which I think um, when we when we surveyed our portfolio around this, we asked them, you know, "How happy are you with ABM?" And so the ones that are in pilot, not that happy. <laughs> it is it's hard. Uh, it's, you a know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's <laughs> hard, and it, it's I'm not seeing the results yet, and I'm I'm confused. But once they get into full on, sixty percent of them are super happy with what they're getting out of ABM. And that is an incredible sort of jump from one one phase to the other. But it also shows you that it takes time and, and it is a commitment, but it's so worth it because you get the right ROIs from this. You are We see in our portfolio companies that they're going to have higher ACVs with shorter selling cycles, and we've seen it over and over again. But not like you flip a switch and tomorrow magic happens you got to do some work you got to understand your market and by the way every market works a little differently it's like i can't tell you that this worked here that this is the number of touches you need to have to make your market work you may need more you may need less you may need different kinds of assets so part of that is that iterative process and it is an incredibly iterative
0: process so takeaway is it works absolutely Stick with it. Yep, It's kind of like going to the gym in the new year. Yes. Kind of sucks those fears first few weeks back. Exactly. <laughs> but once you're in shape, it feels a lot better. Exactly. Um, and some of the specifics, average deals, bigger deals, shorter sales cycle cycles. Um, do you see like an overall increase in pipeline?
1: Absolutely. But here's the other part of this. When organizations were previously doing a pure volume velocity play, it's a hard discussion to have with a CEO or even the board who may not know all about ABM that you know what, our number of MQLs are gonna go down. And you know, let's, let's not worry about that. What we really wanna worry about is our conversion rates. What we really wanna worry about is how our pipeline is growing because we've actually focused on the accounts that represent the greatest LTV and the best opportunity for us. And it's a shift in thinking. It's different, and it involves some internal selling in order to get it right.
0: I just... MQLs, to me, have been a disastrous for the marketing function. The worst. I feel like that's really what holds back a lot of these things. If you just don't care about those and you start specifically caring about qualified piping, it does make the conversation and the transition a lot easier.
1: Everyone wants to talk, when I talk uh, and do interviews with CMOs, I always ask them, you know, if I were to look at your dashboard, what's gonna be on it? What are your KPIs? What am I gonna see? And, you know, I can tell a lot by the ones that tell me I'm, I'm tracking my MQLs versus I'm tracking, you know, marketing's contribution to pipeline. Like that Win to me, rates, that, these are the things that I can tell that they're more sophisticated. They're taking a view of marketing that is a very more modern
0: approach. Gotcha, gotcha. So scale up, I love that term scale up um, because our mission is to scale up ABX. You know, that's something we're passionate about. And one of the things that you personally did and Insight Partners did was literally look high and low across uh, companies, capabilities, technologies to help your portfolios scale up, but also when you were looking at who to invest in. Tell us a little bit about that process. What did you find?
1: Sure. Um, So obviously I'm on the operating team, not the deal team. But when it comes to particular technology that folks on the operating team have experience in, we get brought into the process early. And we've been proponents about the account-based space for at least three years, um, talking about this emerging technology. But here's something which I'm sure you will agree with. If I said to you, tell me what a CRM program is, you could pretty much tell me that. And you could probably tell me Pretty well what a marketing automation program is. Yes. But when I say, tell me what a piece of ABM software is,
0: it's email signature, it's direct mail, it's, it's online advertising,
1: <laughs> it's like the the list goes on and yeah. it's hard, especially if you're not a practitioner within the marketing space, to understand the complexity of what account-based is and what it means. And the other thing, which uh, which I think you know as well, if I said to you, um, I've looked at Sixth Sense uh, two years ago, it doesn't oh, I, work. I hate that. It doesn't work. Like, the program, the software that you were selling two years ago is nothing like what you're delivering today. And by the way, across the board but within even the account with analysts, base, base like
0: I, I just kind of had a schooling with some of our, our partners because I said unless you're getting briefed, everybody on your team, minimum quarterly, probably monthly, you're out of date with what is happening. Correct. Not just at Sixth Sense, I would assume everywhere. Everywhere. we'd have to be dropping product that frequently.
1: It is iterating super quick, and the capabilities are changing. So when we looked at the space, um, we knew we wanted someone who was absolutely laser focused in delivering results okay and it's hard when you speak to different players in the space not all of them have that focus and process so we did a lot of interviews with customers to see satisfaction and the satisfaction levels with sixth sense are so much higher than any of the other competitors that we looked at and the other part of this is you know you talk about account based and all the things it means Intent today is a critical component of account-based. and If intent isn't weaved into it, not as sort of a bolt-on, but literally at the core of how you're delivering account-based intelligence, then you're missing out on really delivering what is the true promise of an account-based product.
0: Because if you think about the ABM space, we all got here a little differently. Mm -hmm. And we got to the space through data and insights. That's like the core of what we do.
1: Yeah, and data and insights is, I I hate to say it, um, it sounds like a throwaway term, because everyone talks, oh, we've got data and insights and reporting and attribution and all these other things, but what people don't understand is that we're talking about not a marketing-based approach here. We're talking an organization-based approach, and so, if you want to turbocharge your inside selling team and you want to turbocharge where your account executives are pointing their guns and you want to turbocharge how customer success is doing cross sell and upsell, you need to take an account based approach and you need to have a way of knowing who are the right people to pay attention to. And there are some, by the way, you know this as well, there there's some markets where I know my universe, perfect account based, like education. I know all the universities, I know all the hospitals nice little spaces. There are plenty of other markets that are very horizontal. And it is hard for you to know where it is you should be pointing your guns. And without that knowledge and and ability to say, look, I want to do an account-based play, but I need some tools to help me get there and do this at scale, you, you can't if you don't have a tool that weaves that all together.
0: It's so funny. I was in a I I do some advising too, and I was I was in a meeting and with a a new hunting team. So pure hunting team, horizontal play as you described. And the head of sales was like, "Well, we have to pick our target account list." And you know, so we're thinking about doing that and da, 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 and I said, "Why? You're a hunting team. Like you have small ACVs. You need to be three calls close. They need to be ready. Yep. Like, why would you just go off the intent signal? Yep. Like, yep. That's come in every day. <laughs> that's what they got work. It, it, why call on people that are under a rock?
1: Yeah, but, but the, again, talk about hype. You know, intent was a whole nother level of hype when it True. was predictive lead scoring. And everyone says, we, you know, where's your crystal ball to be able to predict this stuff? And that went through a whole phase of like, no, no, you know, this doesn't work. You can't do it. But the technology, again, has, you know, just really come like leaps and bounds forward. And also just uh, you know, the differences. People don't understand the differences between primary intent and secondary intent. There is a huge difference. Okay.
0: There. Talk to us about that.
1: So, um, That's a good point. And, and when you look at a primary intent product as Sixth Sense is, it is really looking at looking at very clear activity within your realm that you can track. Secondary intent is looking at other areas, whether web search or other tools or sites they're hitting and trying to intuit all these pieces. Now, that can be important data. I'm not saying to ignore it. I'm saying that you want to get primary intent data that really shows that people are in market and that you can get reliability. That's constantly learning and getting smarter about your customer base. And then at that time, you've got like a super great weapon to be able to, to leverage for your organization.
0: Yeah. I, one of the stats I've heard though is only 13% of marketing and sales organizations have confidence in their data. Yep, And I think that's why second party intent and third even third party intent and being able to tap into a much bigger network of data is so critical for
1: yeah, companies. Yeah. I mean look, in in every organization, everyone is looking for a leg up. They wanna they want to know, it's if I say to you, one of my target accounts is Coca-Cola, well, geez, like how am I going to figure that out?
0: Yeah, like, that's like twenty companies. Like or you know and <laughs> More. And, and, and,
1: and, and so you know, when if you're going to do an enterprise play, you need to pull in every signal from every place that you possibly can to inform who is in market, where are they in market, what divisions in market, yeah. like, and and then um, and and I think we've spoken about this as well. It, it's it's then to say, great, I've got the Coca-Cola bottlers of New York as a customer. Like now, how do I use that to get more Coke? And, you know, do the kind of total um, organization-wide selling efforts that you want to use. How do you leverage that? How do you take existing customers and really become not just one data point in there? I always laugh, you know, when you go to a website. And, you know, you see the logos on there and you well, see. Well, it's
0: the same you know, one. Everyone sells <laughs> to everyone. Yeah, you <laughs> you know, everyone sells the
1: <laughs> So they're not selling to every division of Coke or every division of J.P. Morgan or every yeah. division of Hewlett-Packard. And, and and that is the point. And so I think that, you know, again, people fail to realize everyone is very new logo uh, focused, which is great. But the power of account-based as it comes to cross-sell and upsell, and as it comes to being able to take – a given organization really penetrated is is super powerful
0: so predictions yes abm predictions yes abx predictions yes excuse me it's all right um what do you see happening in the next year
1: so we've been on um this train and it's been sort of slowly accelerating up this hill. And what I really believe is, is that it is just going to continue to get faster and the adoption is going to be wider. And people, you know, I think you may have found this as well. Um, You know, when you, a few years ago, you were looking for ABM professionals, like there weren't any, like there was a few people dabbled in it and did a few things. We're starting to see much more of a class of marketer that is really an account based professional that really understands how to take an organization and really leverage account based leverage the technology understands the tech stack understands the differences uh, between the different tools. Um, I sometimes have conversations and I don't mean to like say this in a very older. Um, CMOs and you can tell that they just read the most recent report and are trying to understand They don't really understand the difference between a demand base and a terminus and a Sixth Sense and and what they deliver And if you don't really understand Where these particular products spike and what they do really? Well, then you're probably going to be wasting a whole lot of money And I think part of the success of six Sense is is that they understand the market so well we love the fact that when you look at a Sixth Sense, that the, the customer isn't going in there not understanding what they're getting. They understand exactly what they're getting. And you guys work relentlessly to deliver on that promise. And that's the sort of beautiful thing that we loved about Sixth Sense, as opposed to you know a whole lot of the competitors that were out there. Well,
0: thank you for that. We're really excited to be working with you guys. And um, we've got a pretty bold vision, which we shared with you. Uh, and so I think the next year, I see the product space being the most exciting. Yep. And how the category comes together. Because you talked earlier about it isn't just an email and a snail mail, it's all of these things that must be orchestrated. And yep. that's what we see as, as a big part of the next frontier.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I, you know, for the folks that are going to be successful leveraging. ABX in their organization it's going to be the ones that understand that I can put together a great plan that works for this particular ICP but as my business evolves as um, the places that I want to go changes I've got to constantly be getting in there revising this testing um, I, if, if an organization doesn't have a testing mentality around account-based
0: Love it. So I want to transition um, and talk about just marketing in general, uh, particularly coming off due diligence. Yes, Which was fun. Uh, yeah.
1: Thank you for, for that. Ev- for everyone. <laughs> for everyone. That's
0: great. Um,
1: you only it, got to do with one company. We get to do it with you know fifty, sixty companies a year. Well, I want to talk
0: about that because I haven't even seen my results yet. Uh-huh. So you know we'll see if I pass the test or not. But. I think it's an interesting process and I think it's valuable for marketers to understand what you and your team are looking for. Yeah. Like what makes you say, okay, we got it. They're doing this this right or whoa, like we've got to pulse check that.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the realities of diligence that we always say is, you know, marketing will never kill a deal. Like, we will never not do a deal. That's got it. (laughs) We will never not do a deal because of marketing. But marketing many times represents upside in our deal thesis because if it is not being done well, we will say, look, you know, there's a lot
0: of opportunity. There's
1: a lot of opportunity. I think for you guys in particular, I mean, look, when you're a Martech company, if you can't be doing marketing well, like,
0: screwed. It's it's, it's,
1: (laughs) bad. Bad news for everyone. Yeah. And so it's clear that when you go into this, this is not your typical sort of investment for us. More, by the way, are we always involved at the level that we are in uh, a diligence when it's in MarTech, we are super involved. And so when you look at a company like you, you know, we looked at the people you've put together. We've looked together at all the uh, technology you've put in place around your technology. Mm -hmm. We look around all of the programs you have, we looked at your results, we looked at all those pieces and it's a strong organization. I mean that you oh, know thank God we
0: that... pass, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Talking sense will live on. It is it, 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 it,
1: it's the the least of our concerns in an investment in a Martech company is if you if you have marketing that's working, that's good. We've got lots of other ideas in terms of where you're going to scale up from, but marketing is not the huge opportunity we're looking for here.
0: Okay. So one of the things that you guys gave us, and my team is totally geeked out about, was your spend benchmarks. Yep. I found them super valuable. Can you share a little bit with the Talking Sense community? Sure. That, how to use benchmarks and why these are maybe a little different than the others.
1: Yeah. So as I sort of mentioned at one point, we sit at this very unique precipice of being able to look at software companies across a large spectrum. Mm -hmm. And we get to see that, A, there are lots of different levers for lots of different companies that are meaningful. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. But it's also like the understanding of what a benchmark is and what a benchmark isn't.
0: But CFOs love benchmarks.
1: Absolutely. And I think benchmarks need to be given with context. And so if all you do is go to serious decisions and say, please give me my representative eight companies that I'm going to benchmark my conversion rates against, it's, it's literally irrelevant. Okay. But when you take, on the other hand, sort of our approach, which is almost the anti-serious decisions and say, look, We have this really bespoke group of companies. We can go in there and we can then understand for all of our companies what the number is, which is wonderful.
0: It's interesting.
1: What is really interesting is to know for companies with a similar ASP, what is it that you're seeing? For companies that are a high grower, what are you likely to see? Uh, For a company that has an ARR of x level what are you likely to see
0: I think that's so important because like if you think about a go to market motion and marketing's involvement if it's a heavy heavy enterprise sale that's a that is a very different kind of marketing to sales relationship versus the high velocity one call closed
1: absolutely and and go to market is one of those other cuts that we look at because if you're an enterprise-heavy customer, you're likely to have high SPS and long selling cycles. And in trying to compare what you're spending and how you're spending your money with someone who's a totally self-serve model, right. on online, fill out a form, get my software, is going to be, again, irrelevant. Yeah. And that's why I say, yes, definitely give your CFO the benchmarks, but give benchmarks with context. This is this is a benchmark that's more relevant for us because, and then of course the CFO would like to use the right numbers, not the wrong numbers. Um, and that's why we talk about this all the time.
0: Uh, what I liked though, were some of the ratios, yep. because often the ratios are just, uh, you know, total sales and marketing combined, which that's yep. a huge primordial soup, right? And then you'd get your marketing allocation And sometimes people will ask people versus programs and maybe look at like brand versus demand and some high level things. But I thought your approach of looking to like net new logos versus customer was interesting. So maybe talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So even though it's a relatively homogeneous group of companies, they're all very different. Um, If I said to you, are you having a user event well, that's gonna change your entire cost structure of marketing versus one of our portfolio companies does not have a user event. True. Um, Another thing that goes on as well, and we find this is some organizations are all about cross-sell, upsell. Some organizations are all about new logo. Well, we better understand how to take a look at those things. Um, And one of the key pieces here again, because it's our survey, we get to make the rules. And so (laughs) the definition of what goes into which bucket is super important as well because yes. you know yeah. you know for example sdrs are sometimes in marketing sometimes not in marketing well we took it out we don't want your sdr costs in your marketing costs because we want to be able to compare across our universe and so these are the kinds of things that we've been able to like think hard about in trying to give our, our portfolio companies super relevant numbers
0: so three stats uh from a spend benchmark that everybody should know
1: so you should absolutely know first and foremost your people versus uh program spend. Um like and if it's out of balance, what's um, out of balance? In well, your opinion. In my opinion, um you should be spending more on program than on people. Um we have seen organizations where that's not the case. Oh, interesting. Um and that um that is a, a, a for us a uh an issue that really needs to be addressed because that means you're probably overstaffed for um, what you're doing. And um, it makes no sense to us. So that's one. Two, um, we definitely wanna look at your spend, marking spend against net new. Um, And that is critical for us because new bookings um, for many organizations are the lifeblood of the organization. And there's also much more of a direct one-to-one with the idea i'm going to spend money and i'm going to get new bookings don't look at your total revenue number which a lot of organizations do that totally gets you sideways off kilter um, very much and it's also i find and again we can talk about all the stats i love them all Um,
0: i love all uh, my children uh, equally
1: (laughs) but i think one of the more interesting ones also always to keep track of is um to your point about sales and marketing spend um you know, to keep track of the percentage of your total sales and marketing spend that marketing represents and what sales represents. And, you know, people talk about CAC all the time. Um, CAC is a great macro number, but I actually want to look at MCAC and SCAC um, because um, while it's nice to do this mashup. I can't really get to root cause of who's being more efficient or not being efficient in terms of the spend. And if someone, if someone just looks at your cac and says we need to cut marketing spend, but in reality it's an underperforming sales organization and the head of sales didn't know that like then no one's being served in terms of how that needs is working.
0: So what is a good M CAC ratio?
1: So, uh, Generally speaking, with a grain of salt, <laughs> so again, we look at as a part of overall sales and marketing spend, call it 25% of all sales and marketing spend. Um, marketing, oh market.
0: love it, thank you. All right, let's transition again. Yes, okay. I want to know about Green Gary, Green Gary, <laughs> yes, yes. I've been thinking of you as a super CMO. Yeah. I didn't know about this green Gary yeah, side. It's
1: my side hustle. All it's, right, it's so all good. everyone
0: needs a side hustle. It is.
1: It is. You know, I um, when you talk about um, a career, it's never a storyline. Um, it's lots of different things that you've done. And there was a part of my career where I started to get engaged in sustainable businesses. I had an event business. Um, which uh, was called Go Green Displays. And it was all... Because
0: displays can be
1: so wasteful. So wasteful. I mean, it kills
0: every show. I'm like...
1: Yes. In in, in the bad old days, it was even worse. Um, They've gotten a lot more attuned to trash. They've got a lot more attuned to carbon from the events. They've got a lot more attuned to lighting and and flooring and all those things, um, which is great. Um, and I also worked in the solar industry and um, those sort of pieces were interesting to get me to think about sustainability in business. Um, I am not your granola guy like that, you know, I'm not wearing Birkenstocks <laughs> and I'm not doing the granola thing. I need yeah. you work
0: at a venture equity <laughs> company. <laughs>
1: And, and and the truth of the matter is is i' i am though like super attuned to the environment i am super attuned to how business can have such a positive impact um, when I was out at dreamforce this year i um, got an opportunity to spend some time with a gentleman who is launching um, a, a new product offering from from salesforce called the sustainability cloud and oh, cool. Um, and you know, Benioff is a, is 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 a poster child for all of the goodness that a corporation can do when it has purpose and values and all of those things. And so they've really thought about this idea about how organizations are struggling to deal with the data, struggling to report on on their carbon footprint, struggling to do all the reporting that needs to happen. And so they've really started to focus on this product. And I've had. Um, the, the honor and privilege of being able to teach about business and sustainability at Wharton. And um, it is, it's an incredible opportunity because when you see that nexus of how organizations can do the right thing, but also do so to make money, like there's no evil in mm-hmm. making money. Um, by the way, many students don't know that. It um, <laughs> immediately, like, assume if you've made money on it, you've done something wrong. You know, you look at great organizations like Unilever, and you look at companies that have been able to really um, make it core to their overall strategy, um, how sustainability can be a driver, not just of good, but also of profit, is incredible. And it's not just like a feel-good thing. it's, It's a business thing. And that's really my message around it.
0: All right. So it's time for my favorite question. Yes. We learn more from our screw-ups than our successes. Yes. So, colossal fuck-up. I mean, just the worst.
1: So, I, it's an ABM story. Oh, and um, it um, was early days in ABM. And we really felt, as part of our job, was we really needed to sell it. We needed to sell it We'd be like,
0: you gotta do this, this.
1: right? We went in there and we put all these great stats from Gartner and (sighs) Topo, and like, you know, you're gonna see like, you know, unicorns and (laughs) bunny rabbits, and it's going to be the most amazing thing that has ever happened to this organization. And this particular CMO, who was relatively young, um, took all this. She bought it. Um, indeed, and um, comes back. Um, to present the plan for next year, and I'm looking through the plan over here, and I see this line, and it just says ABM. I'm like, so what is the ABM revenue source here? And um, she goes, well, you, know, you told us that we could expect to see you know higher ISPs, <laughs> higher conversion rates. So what? We basically did was did we knew the number we needed to get to and just plugged in that number on the abm line i'm like oh dear lord yeah you just didn't do that did you present this to the board yet because that's not correct so it's
0: like the magic plug is abm abm like, that's not well magic dust. abm yes.
1: so after that we sort of ratcheted back the whole selling thing and more go with the realistic view of how to take abm and ramp up and yeah that was beautiful
0: (laughs) you're like i've created a monster
1: exactly (laughs) exactly
0: love it love it well it has been such an honor and pleasure to have you on the show gary i can't wait to work with you more i've already learned so much i've got my little spend benchmark report dog-eared and all (laughs) marked up the team loves it I know we're gonna learn a lot together and I know our listeners are gonna learn a lot from this episode, so thanks for coming on. Awesome, thank you, it was great.